Oh, this is I really appreciate Holly. Like they're the very they're the unsung heroes. Are the all the archivists that I've met? I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, Edmonton's historian laureate, and this is Let's Find Out. Each episode, I'm gonna find Edmontonians with questions about local history, and we'll find out the answer together. This episode, the trustee enigma. We begin our story at the old Mackay Avenue School in downtown Edmonton as Bashir Muhammad lugs his bike up the steps through the front door. Hey. Oh yeah, bring it over here. Sure. It's a sunny day in July, and Bashir has just biked over from his day job at the Alberta Legislature. And he's asked me to meet him here at this old brick school because these days it contains the Edmonton Public School Board's archives. And hopefully, an answer to his question. Has Edmonton ever had a black public school trustee? I'll let him explain. My name's uh, Bashir Mohammed. I'm a, a resident in Edmonton, um, U of A grad, sort of, almost, almost done. Um, and now I'm doing an internship over at the Ledge. And you recently got this amazing medal from the South Korean government. Oh yeah. I, uh, I was in Korea for a year, and uh, if you ride your bike across the country, the government gives you a medal. It's pretty cool. So I did that. <laughs> um, okay, so lately you've been interested in black history in Alberta. Why? Uh, the main reason was it was right after the, um, or during, uh, I mean, it's still happening, the discussion around race in, in North America uh, started in the U.S. with the shootings, unfortunately. Um, and th there was a lot of discussion in Canada that, you know, we just don't have that history of discrimination, of racism, of, you know, what have you. And that surprised me. You know, I wanted to know the actual fact, like, is this the case? So I started digging in and I found that, you know, we have similar histories and what I was seeing was a whitewashing of that history. Uh, Gwen Hooks, who's one of the descendants of the first uh, black immigrants, she says, once we forget about this, then, you know, it's gone. What are some of the topics that you've dug into so far? Uh, primarily, it's been just early. When I started out, it was early black history. But one question I had, because David, David Shepard, he's, uh, I think, the second black MLA in Alberta history. The first one was in 04. He said, one thing we have to do to have change is for us to occupy these offices or to be elected to these offices. So I thought, okay, what's the case? So I found out first black MLA 04. Quick fact check, David Shepard is actually the third black MLA in Alberta. Anyway. And then the other question was, have you ever had a black school board trustee? Because a big issue in, vis in communities of visible minorities is, is that, you know, like issues with students performing who are from those backgrounds. So have we ever occupied a trustee position? Have we, have we ever been at the, the, the table making decisions. I think your question is interesting because, well, for two reasons. One, being on the school board is often a jumping point to other political offices. Lots of people who start as school trustees, they're working their way up towards like becoming an MLA or a mayor or something like that in the future. Um, and the other reason I think it's interesting is because even right now in Edmonton, our city council does not reflect the actual makeup of the, the city, even approximately. Yeah. And I mean, that's uh, concerning in a few ways. One thing I think is, I mean, like 
you know, you have Trudeau's famous statement because it's 2015. That's why we have a gender, a cabinet that's gender parity. Women are qualified. You know, they should occupy the proportion of positions. And when you apply that to like a more like racialized lens and really get into it, you have all these decisions being made about these communities, but do people really get what's going on? A few weeks ago, I went to the Treaty 8 gathering up north, and that was my second ever time on a reservation. But if someone made me like in charge of policy for Treaty 8, that'd be like, I, I wouldn't know where to start. You know, I would have to learn so much. And that's even if I want to do my job well, you know, for that small segment that makes up a small chunk of the, even if they could vote. So to run a province well, we need people with lots of different life experiences in office. Completely agree. Yeah. That's why it's kind of nice. I mean, now, like, uh, I don't know, some of the MLAs now, my MLA, he used to work in an ice cream factory. He lives right by public housing. You know, he sees this, you know, he, 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 he lives it. You know, like when I was at the U of A and I did, uh, and I was in a sociology class and we talked about poverty, we talked about it in a classroom and then we learned about poverty and that's how, that's how we learned about poverty. But then I would go home into, uh, you know, low-income housing and then I see it. And it was just kind of like, if someone gets a PhD in poverty studies, I'm sure they have a lot of, you know, I don't want to judge them or anything, but if you solely have that academic knowledge, it kind of wonders what your life experiences are. Like there's some issues I research, and to understand it, you need to understand the context, and that takes a very long time. And I mean, if you're a politician, then how are you able to address the needs of these communities that have higher crime rates, you know, uh, or that face more discrimination? How are you going to solve that if you just don't get it? And that's the big thing. Edmonton's had a public school board since 1885. Its trustees set policies that affect thousands of students' lives and education. Bashir figured their own archives would be the logical place to hunt for an answer. And when we show up, one of the archivists does have a big stack of documents for us. Now, Holly, I messaged her out of the blue, asking if there's ever been a black school board trustee, and she's been looking into it ever since. Very grateful, so thank you for oh, no looking into that. Uh, no spoilers. That's okay. Um, I, I did pull what little information we do have. Uh, so I just set you up in the reading room here. My name is Holly Platt, and I'm an archivist with the Edmonton Public School Board. Yeah, okay. I just want to add, she did all this in like a week and a half or something. <laughs> so, it's very impressive. How often do you get questions like this? Um, quite frequently, yeah. Research requests are a big part of our, of my job. Usually we have uh, students, university students coming doing history. Um, and we have a lot of personal people just coming in genealogy searches and, uh, for teachers or something, but yeah. Holly sits us down at a big table in the reading room, overlooking the river valley in the old schoolhouse out on the lawn. I'm curious what all these documents are. Did she find somebody and bring us pieces of their biography? Because she set out one really big stack of photocopies for us and a smaller folder full of other files. But it turns out we're going to have to do a bit of sleuthing here on our own. Very awkward sleuthing. 
Unfortunately, our files don't indicate ethnicities. Yeah, so um, I just pulled what images we have. So we're looking at 120 years of portraits of trustees. Okay, so we have a, a, a pile of pictures to look through. Yeah, and the names. I got this before, actually. What I'm looking at is basically a list of all the school board trustees there ever was. The issue is that they, you know, as Holly mentioned, they don't record kind of that other information. So it's just names. Um, so it's, it's extremely hard to gauge by names. In addition, with photos, I found a story the other day. And it was about an interpreter where his father was black and he married an Aboriginal woman. So he grew up speaking, I think, Cree, yeah, Korean English. And uh, as, you know, he went through life, he had, reading his biography, he had difficulty identifying as black or Aboriginal. So you look at a photo and you don't know their background. So that's one difficulty, but it's still a good start. We flip through stiff group portraits of men in suits and little oval pictures from the 1880s. We're essentially looking for trustees who might look black. Anyway, trying to find this information out this way is odd. Well, it kind of looks like the uh, portraits they have at the ledge. Like just a bunch of uh, older, older white guys. <laughs> I see one white woman. Yeah, this is 1935. This photo is hard to tell. That dude, R.V. Johnson, he Conference might committee. look, he's either maybe a little bit not white or that is a dark yeah, photocopy. He has a tan or, uh, <laughs> uh, oh, no, there he is. It's tricky. Alan. 19, so he's on the 1963 and 1964 Board maybe of Trustees. Elections. Or maybe it's just the early. Okay, R.V. Johnson again is on the 1966 Board. It's the same photo too, they don't change. That's like teachers that use the same photo over and over. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'm going to keep these there. Okay, he looks really white in that picture yeah. though. Deputy Chair of the Board. That's oh, he moved of, up by 1968. Yeah. It's kind of a weird game because you're just kind of like looking at photos and trying to figure out what someone's background is. It's a little. <laughs> oh, it's kind of. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just. You're, you're right. It is weird that this is the only way to find this information out right now. Yeah. Um, Holly comes back in to check on us. I just have a question with like an, uh, a, a question like this. We were talking about our method of looking at photos, but like. Is there ever a way to be like certain that there's never been a black trustee or? I don't have that information here. However, um, the ATA um, archives might. Um, human she gives us some tips. The one I like best is the city clerk's office, since they actually run municipal elections. Holly tells us that she's fascinated by some of these names too. It's just some of them, how they went on. When I couldn't find them, I went searching for them online and how some of them, where they came from and where they headed after here and uh, how they got to be a trustee and you know what role they played and how come some names, you know, oh, I've heard of them before and some names 
didn't, I haven't come across ever before, so. But lots of the names are names of upwardly mobile people. Yes, especially the early, the early names. Um, you'll, you'll, oh yeah, you know, they named a ro road after him or a school's been named after him. Uh, some of the ones in the middle, uh, you know, I've not heard before, so, yeah. All right. I'm looking at one of the names, Frank Oliver, 1894, 1890. You're familiar with him, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he opposed black immigration early on. So it's interesting seeing his name, yeah. his name here. Three photos of him. There's Sue Huff. She went on to become leader of the Alberta party. Right. Uh, door knocked on his city campaign. Dave Colburn. Yeah, now she's uh, Bev Esle I think she's the only female on the... Uh, on the um, city council now. Malcolm Grote. Grote Road. So there's one other file that Holly pulled out that we found really interesting from the 1930s. There was a letter from the superintendent at the time asking all the schools to send him the names of the highest performing colored students in their classroom. And we found letters that went back to him with five black students' names dating back to 1934. We also found this stunning class photo of the eighth grade students at the Edmonton Technical School back in 1932. Four rows of white students in button-up shirts, some in ties, all boys. And then front row center, a black student with his knees up to his chest. His shirt is rumpled and mostly unbuttoned, and he's just staring so intensely into the camera. We figured out his name was probably Stanley Petherbridge, because the same photo shows up in their 1932 yearbook. And there are names of all the students in the class. There's no legend of which names match up to which kid in the picture, but there are quotes beside each name. Little in-jokes and famous quotes, just like yearbooks today. And on Stanley's line it says, Stanley Petherbridge was walking down the street with the birth of a nation behind him. There's a new movie out called Birth of a Nation, but this is a reference to a 1915 film with the same name. It was a white supremacist movie that the Ku Klux Klan used as a recruiting tool. And in case you think that's just a coincidence, or that it's a stretch that someone would be referencing a white supremacist film in a 1930s Albertan yearbook, let me point you towards another disturbing historical fact that Bashir has pulled up recently. The KKK was incorporated as a society in the early 1900s. Their most recent corporate registry in our province was filed in the year 2000. So to recap, we haven't found any black trustees so far from 120 years of records, but we have found names and pictures of black students all the way back to the 1930s and a reference to Birth of a Nation in a yearbook. Okay, so I guess we looked through all this, but we weren't able to find what we assumed to be. We've gone through this entire pile of pictures up through the, like, some spat smattering of pictures from the 80s and 90s, yeah. um, and then the some of the current trustees and um what what have we found we found the one guy who looks maybe a little bit dark yeah but then that could have just been the way it was scanned um uh and uh a few women like early on there's just 1935 there's one woman on the board but then it's funny just after a few decades it just creeps up but yeah women are the majority in, in this in this board which was 2011-2012. This is interesting. So we decided to call it a day. I take Ollie's tip about trying the city clerk's office, and I've got a couple other ideas of places to explore. We agree to meet back up soon. But a lot happens afterward, and Bashir finds himself 
at the center of our city's conversation about modern-day racism. The frustration and shock in Bashir Mohammed's voice is evident. Back, let's back up. We're at City Hall right now. It's been a couple of weeks since we were at the archives, and um, the main thing that happened since then is you were on your bike at a red light. Um, I think is kind of where it starts. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so uh, essentially I was just riding my bike uh, along uh, 104, right by the new Rogers Place Stadium, and um, this car started honking at me. I stop at a red light. Calm, kind of nerdy, and relevant for this story, tall and black Bashir is riding his bike downtown. He's in the middle of the lane because it's a construction zone, so the road is really narrow. It's illegal to ride on the sidewalk. He's doing the only legal and safe thing he can. What happens next is hard to listen to. And the next minute contains some language that you might not want your kids to hear. You can skip ahead, but I think it's important for you to hear. Long story short, guy gets out, says get off the effing road, you n-word. Did you just call me a nigger? Did you just call me a nigger? Get off the road, man. Can Can you apologize? Apologize. I'm sorry, man. You gotta drive this out of the road, man. Did you apologize? He called me a nigger. Bashir pulls out his smartphone to start recording. That's what you're hearing now. He's left the bike on the road as a white man and woman get out of their truck behind him. The guy looks like he's going to hit Bashir. Call the police. Please call them. Call the police. Call the police. Call the police. Did you get their license plate? Okay, whatever. They called me a nigger. You don't care they called me that? something you're gonna have to deal with after you can't hold up the whole road man they called me i know but you have to deal with them i was, you can't hold up the whole it's road it's illegal to run on the sidewalk okay. yeah hey. you just gotta okay, you have have to go by you have to as i'm recording this that video has been watched 33,000 times on facebook and 80,000 times on youtube he was interviewed by metro ctv the national post some people were shocked that people would use the n-word in 2016 some people were mad that he was biking in the middle of the lane And it's hard to believe, but another driver actually called him the same thing while he was biking later that day. It went viral, uh, which is kind of insane. It started a discussion around race in Edmonton and in addition also cycling. Uh, It's been kind of surreal. I've had basically no time to do much else. You know, my main goal was to just do this project and to kind of have that as my side thing, but that was all put aside so I could, you know, manage uh, what happened. So, yeah, uh, it's been a crazy, crazy week. It was, like, several re- several layers of crazy. One, that this happened while you're digging into black history and, like, the history of racism in Alberta. Right. Two, I don't think a lot of people would have approached that situation quite the way that you did, like, getting out of your camera, immediately filming, like, you having your GoPros on your bike. Yeah. Oh, wait, did I bring my GoPros? Wait, sorry. No, okay, they're here. I, fr- I thought I left them on my bike. Because you film now... Yeah, I what- film... Um, I film every time I, every time I'm on my bike, and that's just because I don't trust people or trust people to believe what I would say if something happens. So um, my initial reaction was to hit the guy, you know. And when I talked to my brother after his initial reaction, would have been also to hit the guy. But I knew that that's that would get me charged, and it would like it would just be against me. So a lot of uh, black movements. Uh, North America are starting to use film like we're seeing stuff like Facebook Live um, Facebook Twitter being used as mediums to show 
these things happen. So I wanted to show people it happens because a few weeks before, I don't know if you remember, but I posted on Facebook that someone called me the N-word, but that was just a Facebook status. I think with this, they were in my shoes and they could see the raw emotions, and I thought that'd be the most effective thing. The video is like, really, uh, it, was, it made me so mad to watch. Um, and then afterwards, like after this guy said this crazy thing and like physically looked like he was about to hit you, um, your like your interaction with the police was not great either. No, it's been uh, on the police side. So there's a city side and police side. Uh, so the city doesn't have control over the police. It's the police commission. But beyond that, I uh, I wanted to meet with an officer uh, as soon as possible. But when I went to the downtown police station, they referred me to a phone number. So I was like, whatever. So I call the phone number. They say an officer is going to come to my door. No officer comes to my door. Instead, they call and say, you know, we can just phone and you can give me your report over the phone. Give my report. Don't hear anything back uh, on the traffic side. Because you were trying to get this, like, maybe written up as a hate crime, right? Yeah, I was hoping for it to be a hate crime. Then I realized our uh, legislation is extremely weak on that front. And it's not against the law for any of the stuff he said, even if I got all of it on camera. If, like, hate, hate crimes have to be attached to another crime. So, like, assault. But if they say the N-word, then that's a hate crime. But it's also assault. Which kind of surprised me. I thought there would be some repercussion on that front, but there isn't. On the traffic side, they wanted to blame me. Uh, they asked if I was riding to provoke. Um, they were questioning, you know, why, why don't I just ride on the sidewalk? Which is illegal in Edmonton. Yeah. And the cop even told me he rides on the sidewalk knowing he'll get a ticket because it's dangerous on the roads. Which is unfortunate because I always thought if something like this happened, the police would be on my side and they would understand the laws. And when they had their press conference, there's an inspector and they asked the inspector, how far should a bike be from the curb? And that guy didn't know, even though it was his file to work on, which says a lot about the city. So to be honest, I'm a little, little disappointed on that front. But what you did was legal, and there were no ramifications, like legal-wise for this driver. Um, but you um, were pretty adamant that um, somebody should do something about it. Yeah, so... I think it was one or two days after, and I was like, like, where, where does this go? Like, what happens to this momentum? So I sent out a tweet asking to meet with the mayor. And uh, after a lot of people retweeted it, after it was shared quite a bit, um, he replied back. And he said, yeah, let's meet. So I met with the staff. They're very supportive. Um, and it seems like I'll be pre preaching to the choir if I try to explain to them that racism exists, they understand racism exists and they want to do something about it. So I'm sitting here now, um, I'm about to meet the mayor, uh, 4 p.m., a little nervous. Um, and I'm looking up at that quote, I don't know if you noticed it, but it says, look to the future, take pride in the past. The city hall is dedicated to our community, its spirits and hopes. And uh, I just hope something changes. Okay, you have like 14 minutes before you have to go in. Do you want to hear what I found out now or after? Uh, after. Okay. Actually, yeah. Okay. Uh, if, if that's not too much of a... Yeah, no, no, it's good. Um, so, I guess, uh, do you want me to walk with you up to the thing? Yeah. We walk upstairs to Mayor awesome. Don Iveson's office. Bashir goes behind the glass doors into the reception area, and this pleasantly absurd Hi. scene plays out, where I'm sitting on the marble steps outside the office with four other reporters, while Bashir and the receptionist try not to stare back from behind the other side of the glass. But the mayor's last meeting has run late, so for about 15 minutes, Bashir is just 
watching us, watching him. Then the door opens up. They go in. They talk for a while. And they come out to talk to the media. I don't know when to start. Uh, anytime. Um, so I just met with the mayor. Um, it was a very productive meeting. We talked about cycling uh, in Edmonton and racism. Uh, a key thing I was trying to accomplish throughout all this is to... Uh, ensure that it's not just about me to open up to that open up to the community. So on that front, we talked about opening up a dialogue between the cycling community and the city. So um, we, uh, we discussed and it looks like it's going to move forward. There will be engagement uh, with the cycling community and the different uh, city departments in order to uh, talk about safety and to talk about accelerated timelines in terms of, of a bike grid. So that's that piece. On the racism side, we talked about a renewed commitment to racism free Edmonton. So on that front, I'm going to be uh, connecting the mayor to different uh, communities uh, and advocates such as Black Lives Matter Edmonton, uh, Aboriginal groups and other groups that are interested in order to uh, kind of kickstart this and to have the dialogue. And the mayor is interested and eager to move forward on that file. So those are the two key things that came out of this meeting. This is, by the way, the first time I've seen the mayor since he appointed me as historian laureate, but I'm a reporter. I can't help joining in with a question of my own because I noticed that no one has said the word that's the real reason all of us are here today, the real reason this has escalated all the way to the mayor's office, the ugly word that's still being used today to push black people down into their place. Do you think that the, um, the political conflicts over bike lanes have started to, to bring out more conflict on the street between cyclists and, uh, and the motorists who are most against cycling? I, I wouldn't I wouldn't attribute it to that I think um, I, I don't know what it is I don't know for sure that there is more I, I hear that there's more um, uh, I think that there's frustration in general because of you know a tougher economy there's you know hot days people behave badly when the temperature's up it could be all kinds of different factors uh, I know the cycling community is very frustrated and and uh, um, and so I think Again, the, the thing to do is to build better infrastructure to accommodate users better and, and not just accommodate today's cyclists who are frustrated, but invite uh, you know, that extra 10 or 20 or 30 percent of the population that would cycle if they had that infrastructure, which is what we've seen in all the other cities uh, and even in Calgary where they put this infrastructure in place. So, I mean, that's the dividend of this is more people having the choice and less conflict on the road for both existing and future users. Frustration in summer heat is one thing, but the language that the people in the car used was pretty serious. What do you think it says about the city that someone felt safe and right to use the word nigger for someone who was in his way while he was driving? Well, I don't think it says anything about Edmonton. I think it says something about the individual. Uh, I think to extrapolate about the city because one person is... Um, used absolutely unexpectable, uh, unacceptable language is, is not the right conclusion. I think the conclusion is that uh, any person who would use that language is out of place and out of time and that those views in that language are not welcome in our city. Okay, yes. thanks everyone. Uh, this is blowing up his Don's tweet. Thank you to Bashir Mohammed for me to share his unacceptable experience of racism as well as his input on improving Yank bike infrastructure uh, conditions. Yeah, what was that like? It's kind of weird. When he walked in, I couldn't believe it. I was like, um, this feels, uh, feels strange. He's like, why? And I said, you're the mayor. So it was a little, it was really nerve wracking. But at a certain point, I just focused on what I wanted to get out, what I wanted to share. And 
<laughs> it just came out naturally. Oh, and I just want to, one thing I want to make completely clear, I appreciate how candid the mayor was. It wasn't like politicians speaking to you, it was a person speaking to you. So I really appreciated that. I felt like I had to ask him that question just because nobody said the word. Yeah. Um, I feel like, to a certain extent, this has been whitewashed a little bit. Um, so I really appreciate like that, that, that being heard by him and that being, uh, that being named. Okay, well, let's talk about the what we learned part about what kind of city we actually live in because, okay, first I'm gonna tell you what, what my research process has been over the last couple yeah. weeks and then I'll tell you what I found out. Well, I went to the Blue Building, the headquarters for the Edmonton Public School yeah. Board, um, partly because I, I tried to get a hold of a couple trustees. No one was really answering back. Yeah. I thought I'd go in person. I did find a receptionist who'd been there for like over 30 years. His yeah. name was Frank Snape, which was great. We chatted a little bit about Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, uh, he talked to the wife of an old trustee. She said as far as she knew, there was no yeah. um, black trustee in Edmonton's history. Um, he recommended trying to get in touch with Michael Strambitsky. Um, he's still alive? He is still alive. Um, he's in his 80s, but um, uh, Frank mentioned that he wasn't sure whether Michael yeah. Strambitsky was still in town. So I called the Strambitskys that I could find in the phone book. I found a cousin-in-law of his right. who mentioned that he moved to Hawaii. I got as far as looking for his phone number in Hawaii, and then all the sites I was trying to use to gather his phone number were trying to give me, like, his like public information and his like arrest records and like any like no he hasn't been arrested okay. but like it, it there's like all these databases that will give you like way too much information so yeah. i just i figured i'd back away from that route yeah. i tried the city clerk's office yeah. the city of edmonton uh they had no information i tried the foip office here at the city of edmonton um they said hey have you ever heard of the edmonton public school board's archives you should try them um <laughs> yep. which was our first step um yeah and then the i think the definitive answer that i got was from Nathan Ip, who is a, a current uh, trustee for the city of Edmonton and also um, the first um, Chinese heritage uh, trustee on the board. This is what trustee Nathan Ip told me. So thanks for your call. Yeah. Um, yeah, so my question was, has there ever been a black public school trustee? Um, I have I've tried many different avenues of searching this um, uh, and have not come up with anybody who can remember there ever having been one, but I... I, I the absence of a yes didn't mean that doesn't yeah didn't doesn't seem to there, there hasn't been one and and, yeah. and I, I so so I think your research is probably as as good as mine um, my understanding is that there hasn't been a, a black trustee per se so no there hasn't been a black trustee in Edmonton's history right. um, but interestingly um, although he's the first like Chinese heritage yeah. person on on uh, the school board. Now, now, in terms of whether there's been a visible minority trustee, it depends on how you define visible minority. There has been um, uh, a, uh, a Jewish trustee, uh, Mel Binder, and the other, um, Dr. Lila Fallman, was the first um, uh, person of, of Muslim faith to uh, Islamic faith to be able to, to or to, to be elected as a school board trustee. And then there's me, of course. <laughs> Okay, that's good to know. He also said, you know, our, to him, our politics reflect the structures of power in our society. What, do you have a theory on why school boards are so white? I, hmm, 
Do I have a theory? I, I think, I, I don't think it's just, I, I don't think it's just school boards. I, I mean, I think, for example, city council has been, has been very white with the exception of, of, of uh, at least in Edmonton, with the exception of Amarjit Sohi and, and uh, Mo Banga. Um, municipal politics is different because you really run on your own on your own brand, if that makes any sense. And you and and there isn't um, unlike party politics, there there isn't sort of the party apparatus um, to to really support you. Um, so I mean, some some people can say that's a that's a benefit. That's all you know. That's that might be a drawback, but it's also a benefit in some ways. But if you're if you're a if you're you're if you're a candidate who's who's not necessarily you know um, and you're a visible minority and you're not necessarily well connect, connected in the community, it's really really challenging to I think to be able to to, to prevail. Um, there have been multiple um, visible minorities running for school board. You know. Since since I'm sure the very beginning, right? But very few have have been successful, and I don't really know why that is. But I think I think partly because, um, unlike unlike party politics, there isn't that apparatus, apparatus to, to support you. So so the energy so ease of the world are relatively rare, um, and I think at the end of the day, our, our elected politics, our, our elected representatives, do reflect. Um, I guess our structures of power, right? And 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 it is it is still very much, uh, um, you know, dominated by European Canadians. So, to him, the structures of power in our society are mostly white. So the reflection of that is in our places of power, the decision-making bodies. I agree. I agree. Just look at our police force. And I wish there were stats on this actually on the ethnic makeup of our police force, but. You know, police force is majority white. Ledge is majority white. Council, school board, which makes you want like I was one thought I had was I was surprised that there's no, sorry, going to the race incident. Uh, there's no consequence for someone using that word. But I can guarantee if there's proportional representation of black people in those positions, a law or some sort of consequence would have been in place. But because we haven't been there, no one's got around to it because they just don't know the effect that has. But yeah, no, I, I agree with, uh, I agree with that point. Is that bringing it back to why you asked this question in general? Why you're digging into Black history? Yeah. Is that why it matters to you? Yeah, it it does. Because otherwise, if you don't get the population you're serving, how are you going to be able to serve them? I mean, I put this question to Nathan too, um, which is, uh, why isn't education enough? If you know, like city council has people who can prep them. Trustees have people who can prep them on issues. They have people who can come and meet with them and talk to them about why, why stuff is important. Why isn't educate, educating the existing kind of demographics of trustees and counselors enough? You, you just don't get it. Like, uh, I mean, not, not you, not you as a, no, no. Like, if you're a politician, you just don't get it if you're not from those backgrounds. I was talking to a friend about, um, like, about the experiences she faces on the street, you know, having people yell sexist comments at her. I know that's an issue and I completely think it's, I think it's terrible, but I've never experienced it so I can't understand it, you know? So in my mind, 
I know it's real, but I don't know it's real, you know? Um, and if you're black, you know racism and you know it's racism. But if you're a politician, you, you get that maybe there's racism, but you don't, you don't experience it, you don't feel it. And that affects decision-making. Politics is a lot of soft skills and you prioritize a lot of things in your mind unintentionally or, or intentionally. And I think this is just one of those things you, uh, you rank. And if you're not from that background, it doesn't rank very high. All right. Um, so I guess this comes to the conclusion of our like fact-finding mission. Uh, we have an answer and it has to change. Uh, we, we need a black trustee. So let's do something about it. You can, you can decline to answer this. Are you going to be Edmonton's first black trustee? I'll try. I'll try. That means I'll run. Stay tuned. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the second episode of Let's Find Out. I really want to know what you guys thought, and I want your questions about Edmonton history for future episodes. Drop me a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. I also released the first episode today, and it's available to download right now. You can find it on iTunes and at letsfindoutpodcast.com. It's called The Snow Goose Case. I wanted to find out how this big bird watching festival became a bird chase. And along the way, I learned some really interesting things about how quickly a place can change and how quickly we can get used to a new normal. And can you do me a favor? Can you go into iTunes right now and leave a review for this show? Even if you're not ready to subscribe or anything, Leaving a review makes a huge difference in helping other people find this podcast. You can pause. I'll wait. Okay, I have so many thank yous to hand out. Thank you to Bashir Mohammed, Holly Platt at the Edmonton Public School Board Archives, Trustee Nathan Ipp, Mayor Don Iveson, Siani and Saliwa, Frank Snape, and all the other folks who tried to help us find out an answer. That tiny news clip you heard was from Global News Edmonton. And the voice of the reporter at the media scrum was Elise Stolte from the Edmonton Journal. Thanks also to the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting this podcast in its long gestation. To the three historians laureate before me, to everyone who's been encouraging me along the way as I've developed this, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. And until next time, keep your questions coming.